We're so blessed to have so many talented musicians in our church. Yes, ma'am. Vance, yes, God bless you. Tabitha, Tabitha is our assistant music minister, and uh, she's obviously well-trained, and, and we're blessed by her. Vance was not only the president of David Jeremiah's college at one time, he was the head of a music department at another university, and so you, you can hear the excellence there. We also have this incredible choir and orchestra, and the choir is just so full, the orchestra is so full. Thank y'all. Um, one other thing that's happening today, just to let you know of the variety, we have a growing modern service. We had to figure out ways to put more chairs in because we're just having such a trouble seating them at 1030. But they are trying to use variety in that service too. Today, there's, an, a, there's, there's no drums today. They've got a cello, a violinist, a keyboardist, and some voices and a guitar. So each week they're trying to do something fresh and using modern music, but it's just done in a fresh way. So I'm just grateful for all that's happening across this place, and we're blessed musically. So thank God for that. We've been studying the book of Acts since uh, last century. No, no, no. Seems like it. Seems like it. Uh, we're in Acts 27 today. I'll begin in verse 9 in a moment. I just will warn you right now, we're going into deeper waters. I hope you had coffee before you came to church. We need your mind alert because this will be stuff that you're going to have to grapple with. Acts 27 verse 9 will be read right after we remind each other of the gospel by quoting John 3.16. Then join with Christians all over and pray in the Lord's Prayer. Let's do that now. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Let's pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Acts 27, 9. By now much time had passed and the voyage was already dangerous. Since the day of atonement was already over, Paul gave his advice and told them, Men, I can see that this voice is headed toward disaster and heavy loss, not only of the cargo in the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion paid attention to the captain and the owner of the ship rather than to what Paul said. Since the harbor was unsuitable to winter in, the majority decided to set sail from there, hoping somehow to reach Phoenix, a harbor on Crete facing the southwest and northwest to winter there. When a gentle south wind sprang up, they thought they'd achieved their purpose. They weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. But before long, a fierce wind called the Northeaster rushed down from the island. Some of you are from up in New England. You know the worst storms are the Northeasters. When the high pressure turns it around, it comes from the other way. Um, since, let's see, after running, well, here we go. Where am I at? I shouldn't have chased that rabbit, should I? Huh? Oh, 15. Since the ship was caught and unable to head into the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. After running under the shelter of a little island called Kata, we were barely able to get control of the skiff. 
After hoisting it up, they used ropes and tackle and girded the ship. Fearing they would run aground on the Sirtis, they lowered the drift anchor, and in this way they were driven along. Because they were being severely battered by the storm, they began to jettison the cargo the next day. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. For many days, neither sun nor stars appeared, and the severe storm kept raging. Finally, all hope was fading that we would be saved. If you would look for me on the screen, I want to show you a map of this particular voyage. Paul was being sent from Caesarea by the sea to Rome. Uh, We read in the first eight verses that I did not read to you. They were talking about stops along the way and how the weather had already slowed them down. Now, Luke dates this when this is happening. He tells us what time of year. He said the the Day of Atonement is already passed. Usually the Day of Atonement is in mid-October. Now, here's what you need to know about the Mediterranean. The Mediterranean is difficult to sail on from September 14th to November 15th. It's impossible after November 15th. No one gets on the Mediterranean from November 15th until March. So they were somewhere near that deadline, but already in the dangerous time. They had made their way, even though they'd been delayed, to a place called Fair Havens on the island of Crete. If you'll notice that, uh, just 40 miles north of that, where they wanted to go, was a real harbor. This was a place they pulled in. I guess they needed supplies, whatever it was. But it was a place with no harbor, which meant they had to use that boat that's called the skiff in the CSB. Uh, If you've ever been to the Bahamas on one of the cruise things, you know, they always have their private island and there's no harbor. So they put you on boats and then they take you to shore. So what had happened was they anchored the ship off the coast and they made their way to shore, taking load after load through the skiff. But the problem was that was such a small place. They didn't feel like that'd be a good place to spend the winter. But the other thing was the ship had no harbor to keep it safe from winds and storms. So it it meant if they stayed there, the ship would stay anchored offshore and would be beaten up all winter long by storms and possibly sunk. So the captain wanted to go a little further, only 40 miles. They said, we can make 40 miles. There's a good place with the harbor, Phoenix. So we'll just go along the coast. And then all of a sudden there was this gentle breeze from the west. Now, Now, if you'll notice the the way they had gone, they had stayed close to land all the way there. And the reason why when they sailed in that day and time, they stayed within sight of the land was because the compass hadn't been invented. So if you could see land, you knew where you were. There were times you had no choice. When they left Crete to go to Rome, they'd have to go out open, over open sea. But the only time you would go out over open sea is if the sun was shining or the stars were there because then you could guide. If you were in the open sea and a cloud cover came in or a storm then you would simply put your drop anchor down and stay there because you wouldn't know where you were going or where you would end up. So here they were. They had the gentle westerly breeze keeping there, and then the northeastern came, and they were thrown into an incredible storm, and finally they came to the point where they thought they were going to die. All hope was lost. Let's pick up now with the Scripture in verse 21. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul then stood up among them and said, You men should have followed my advice not to sail from Crete and sustain this damage and loss. Now I urge you to take courage because there'll be no loss of any of your lives, but only of the ship. For last night, an angel of the God I belong to and serve stood by me and said, Don't be afraid. 
Paul, it is necessary for you to appear before Caesar. And indeed, God was, has graciously, graciously given you all those who are sailing with you. Paul was praying for everybody on board. And he prayed this prayer, Lord, don't let one of them die. And the angel came and said, I've got a promise from God. Not a one of you will die. Your prayers are answered. You're all going to make it safely. At the end of the chapter, it tells us that there were 276 people on board. When they finally got to shore, they counted heads. There were 276 people that got there. So don't you imagine there was some sense of relief when a man of God stands up and says, I've got a word from God. It's going to be all right. We're all going to make it. And then look at the next verses I want to read to you. Look at verse 30. Some sailors tried to escape from the ship. They had let down the skiff into the sea, pretending they were going to put out anchors from the bow. Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the boat, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut the ropes holding the skiff and let it drop. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. He'd gotten a promise from God. Nobody's going to die. And he sees the sailors sneaking off to get into the boat and try to get away. He says, hey, hey, centurion, if those sailors leave the ship, we're going to die. What is this? On the one hand, you have a word from God. On the other hand, you have a man that's, that's very concerned and calls, calling for extreme wariness and carefulness. Well, here's where we jump into deep. And by the way, next week, we're actually going to preach the passage. So this week, I'm going to chase a rabbit for the whole sermon. Because what we see here illustrated in this, and I'll come back to this particular principle, is a word that I want to introduce you to today if you've never heard of it. It's called antinomy. I'll tell you where I found this book. One of the greatest minds of the last hundred years, J.I. Packer, who's a Calvinist, who's a brilliant scholar, he wrote a book called Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God because one of the questions that's answered to those who, who has asked to those who believe strongly in predestination is this. If God has predestined everyone, whether or not they're going to be saved or not, why do evangelism? And so this, this book, which I would recommend to anybody, is an attempt to answer that. And what he does is he introduces this concept of antinomy. Let me define antinomy. Antinomy is when you find two truths that are contradictory, yet both are true. Two truths that are contradictory, yet both are true. Now, we find that throughout the Bible. The classic one is the one he dealt with in his book, which is the conflict you find in what the Bible teaches about predestination and the Bible teaches about free will or God's will that, that no one be lost. And, and, and the truth of the matter is, I don't see how you can reconcile these two sets of verses. I'll show them to you right now. Look at Ephesians chapter 1. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself according to the good pleasure of his will. Without any doubt, that, Bible, that, that verse teaches predestination. Before he made the world, we were chosen. When people say, I don't believe in predestination, you can get your scissors out and start cutting out verses because it's in the Bible. But look at this, this next verse, which to me, I can't see how they reconcile. 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord does not delay his promises. Some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. 
Now, I've read my Calvinist friends' commentaries, and I've seen them go into lengthy uh, diatribes on how any and all do not mean any and all. I just believe you take the Bible for what it says. He doesn't want any to perish. He wants all to come to repentance. And yet he chose us before him in the at the foundation of the world. It, it's, it looks like a contradiction here. Now, let me give you a quote from Spurgeon. Spurgeon was once asked, how do you reconcile predestination and free will? And he replied, you don't reconcile friends. They're both in the same Bible. So here's what we've got to do is we've got to recognize there are truths that we can't figure out how they go together. They are true because God is bigger than our minds. So uh, let me tell you what else Packer did with this concept. When he was teaching this in his book, he said that there are antinomies outside the Bible in science. And one of the antinomies that's found in science is this. When scientists have studied light, they have found a contradiction. Light is made up both of waves and particles, and yet that cannot be true. But it is. So in the book, he says, what do scientists do recognizing that light is made up of, of, of both of, of particles and waves? He said they simply act as if both are true. And what we have to do when we come to these truths that is hard to reconcile, we simply act as if both are true. We recognize that. What I do when I'm in a predestination verse, I go, amen. When I'm in a free will verse, I go, amen. You know, I, I don't have to figure it out. God's bigger than my mind. In fact, sometimes you'll find both of these concepts side by side. It's not Paul versus James or something like that. Look with me at Matthew 11, and I'll show you verses that Calvinists will amen and then non-Calvinists will amen. Well, look at this. Here's some Calvinistic verses. All things, Jesus speaking, all things have been entrusted to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son desires to reveal Him. Every Calvinist would say a hearty amen right there. Look at the next verse. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. The only ones who come to me are those I, I reveal. But come on now, come on. Now. You, you find that tension right there. Um, we have to approach the Bible humbly, folks. We have to recognize that if I could grasp everything in Scripture, that makes God as small as my mind. Justin and I were talking through this message, and one of the things he said is this. One of our problems is that we are either-or people. We want to be on one side or the other. In the Bible, often both are true. We have a hard time living with the fact that there's some things we can't figure out. It's got to be one way or the other. There's a great Scottish Calvinist from the 1800s named Horatio Bonar. He wrote a small book to help new Christians. Chapters were two or three pages apiece. I love the title of one of, the, one of those chapters. It was Beware of One-Sided Truth. When you go and camp out on one side, we're going to, here's our flag. Everybody that believes in this truth, let's come over. Here's our flag. Everybody that believes. Beware of one-sided truth. So, we see the concept of antinomy. Now let me take that concept of antinomy and go back to this story. Because here we have another antinomy that we see through the scriptures. That we are absolutely secure. But you better watch out. We are absolutely secure, but you better watch out. Let, let me give you some verses that should give you assurance. Look at Philippians 1 verse 6. I am sure of this. That he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. I love that verse, folks. I've claimed that promise. Can I give you what that means? First of all, let me encourage you. 
If you can look in your life and see evidence that God has started a work in you, you can rest because you know this, God never, he, he always finishes what he starts. You may be struggling right now, but if he began a work in you, he's going to bring it to completion. You count on that. But let me tell you where I claim that verse. I claim that verse for my children. I can look at all five of my children and I can see a time that God was working in their lives. Now, there may be times when some of them aren't following him. But if he began a good work, he will bring it to conclusion. Oh, what security they, that gives us. Look at the next verse that gives us security. John 10, 28. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Now, he, he goes on in, this, in the same passage. He says, we're in the Father's hand and no one can snatch them out of the Father's hand. Well, how can we be both in Jesus' hand and the Father's hand? Basically, what he has pictured is here's us. And the Father has a grip on us, and He has a grip on us. We're in a double-handed grip of the Father and the Son. That's how secure we are. A woman one time was talking with somebody from a denomination that teaches you can lose salvation. And they said, don't you think the devil might could come in and snatch you away so you lose your salvation? She said, it couldn't happen. Because for the devil to get to me, first the devil would have to go through the blood of Jesus Christ. And then the devil would have to break through the seal of the Holy Spirit. Then the devil would have to break through the hand of the Father. And then the devil would have to break through the hand of the Son. And if the devil got through the blood of Jesus and the seal of the Holy Spirit and the hand of the Father and the hand of the Son, by that time he'd be a saved devil and he'd be no problem for me. So here we are. We're secure. Woo! Just have revival it this morning. Amen? All right. But let me show you the other side of this antinomy in the scriptures. Matthew 24, 13. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Now, he just told me he's going to finish it. But then he turns around and says, no, you watch out. It's the one who endures to the end who will be saved. Let me give you another one. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 2. And, and I love this chapter. One of my favorite chapters in the Bible. Now I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters, the gospel I preached to you, which you received, on which you've taken your stand, by which you are saved. And I would love for it to stop right there. That next word just blows up my confidence. Or not my confidence, uh, my, my preaching. <laughs> because my once saved always, I believe it with all my heart, once saved always. Don't you dare doubt that. But look what he says. The gospel on which you've received, which you've taken your stand, by which you're being saved, if you hold to the message I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. He says, man, you are saved if you keep on believing. What's going on? Do you feel the tension that's there? The security that we have in some promises? The, the, the call to make sure you hang in there. Make sure you keep on believing in the same Bible. It's an antinomy. Remember, what do you do with antinomies? You act as if both are true. Now, I showed you one passage in the Gospels where both sides of the antinomy of predestination and free will were found. Now, let me show you a passage in the book of Philippians where both sides of this antinomy, security and watchfulness. Look at Philippians 2, verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, let me tell you, there are a lot of people who misunderstand this verse. This does not mean salvation is by works or that you can figure out your own salvation. This Greek word literally means work it out to completion. Don't stop halfway in your salvation. 
So, so in other words, you got saved. But basically what Paul is saying, become all God saved you to be. There's our part. Look at the next verse, verse 13. For it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to His good pleasure. How in the world am I going to go all the way and become all He saved me to be? The only way I can do that is because He's inside of me. He's given me the desire and the power. So what I want to do with the time I've got left is I want to talk about the tension. What is God's part in the Christian life? And what is our part in the Christian life? And once again, we'll look at scriptures that hold these these two things before us. First of all, let me talk about God's part in the Christian life. God gives us promises to rest in. Look at Psalm 46, verse 1 and 2. God is our refuge and strength, a helper who is always found in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not be afraid, though the earth trembles, the mountains topple into the depths of the sea. I have got my foundation laid. I am resting on the foundation of God Almighty, and he never trembles. There was a Scottish fisherman one time, and he was coming in from a, a, a night of fishing, and it was still dark when all of a sudden this huge storm happened, and the coast where his village was was covered with rocks out there. It's very dangerous. And so the wind was blowing, he could hardly keep control of his little fishing boat, and it ran into the rocks and burst in pieces. It was dark. Somehow he was able to swim to one of those rocks that was just standing out there in, away from the shore, and he gr- crawled up, face down, grabbed it. And sometimes the waves would crash over him, frozen out there, feeling the the storm burst on him. And when daylight came, some people from the village looked out there and they saw him on that rock. So they got in a boat and went out there and rescued him. They put him in front of a fire, gave him warm clothes. And one of his friends said, man, that had to be scary. He said, you're out there all night. Didn't you tremble? And he went, tremble? Sure, and I trembled, but ne'er once did the rock tremble neath me. That's where we are, friends. What is God's part? He is the rock that never trembles, that, that we can rest upon. He goes on and, and tells us that what does he do? God gives us the power to live out the Christian life. Philippians 4:13. I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. It's not grit your teeth and do your best for the Lord. I've got good news. No matter how weak you may feel, I can do all things. It's not through me. It's through Him. There's God's part. He gives us the power to live out the Christian life. Well, what is our part in the Christian life? Let me show you a verse and give you an application. 1 John 1.9 If we confess our sins... He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When I do go astray, and I go astray, my brothers and sisters, I'm sure you do as well. When I go astray, my part is to return to Him and confess those sins and be forgiven. Now, let's talk about that right now. My son-in-law, Will, preached a wonderful sermon here, and so many of you have talked about how you were blessed by that message. The next week was his first week at his church, his new church in, in Alabama. I went online to hear him. The sermon he preached, the one down there, was better than the one he preached here. Uh, He preached a sermon on grace. And he said, there's four ways that you can find out whether or not you really get grace. And one of the ways that he said that you can find out that you really get grace, he says, the way you react when you as a Christian sin. If you as a Christian sin and you run from God, you don't get grace yet. 
If you as a Christian sin and you run toward grace, then you really understand grace. And he told a story that I thought was very pertinent. While he was in New York, he led a man to Christ who had been an addict for years, and God saved him just in a tremendous way. In fact, a few months later, he came up to Will and said, God has so changed me, I don't even have a desire for drugs anymore. But sometime later, all of a sudden, he wasn't there. And the thing that you and I need to recognize about addictions is this, those cravings will never go away. You've got to have watchfulness. And somehow the craving came and he gave in and he got high. Will went and sought him. He said, where have you been? He said, I can't go back to church. I, I have shamed myself and I have broken God's heart. I can't go back. And Will said, I need to do a better job of explaining grace. Because yes, this is where you need to be. You need to claim that promise of God. Uh, we are to keep watch over our lives. Is another part of our part. 1 Timothy 4, 16. Pay, pay close attention to your life and your teaching. Persevere in these things. For in do so doing this, you will save both yourselves and your, hero, your hearers. I've got to pay attention. I've got to keep on the alert. I can never just let my mind go blank. Uh, you can't go, you've you got to stay away. Don't toy with sin. Don't stay away from church. Watch what you watch. All of those are put on us. Pay close attention to yourself. Don't, don't play with sin. But when I, Justin and I were talking about this morning, he said, he said, this means don't go on autopilot. And then that's exactly what happened to me this morning. The church very graciously buys us a parking place that's right there. And I, that way I can come in and out. I'm constantly going in and out during the week to stand by people and such. And I'm grateful to have that. But what I've tried to do is on Sundays and Wednesdays, I say, Karen, you can have that place. And it's right there. And I'll find another one. Well, this morning I woke up at 3.30, did some good study. And then I thought, I, I've got some things I need to add to the sermon. So I was excited about it. And I got in my car. And by habit, I pulled into my parking place. I did not think about it again. Karen was sitting in the choir. They weren't quite ready to sing. And, it, and I went out and looked out the window. And I had parked in my parking place. And I had told her, you got the parking place today. So I went up to her and apologized. Because let me tell you what happens. I've done that trip so many times. My car just on auto drive goes right to that place. I don't think it. You, gotta, you can never get to the point where you go on auto drive in the Christian life. But then it goes on, and, and, and this is another one that's our part. James 4, 8. Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. There's an old spiritual that says this. Every time I feel the Spirit moving in my heart, I will pray. If you only pray when you feel the Spirit, you'll never pray enough. Because we're told to pray always. If you only go to church when you feel like it, you won't go to church enough. We're told, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, as is the habit of some. Now, I know this has been a complicated message, so let me give you a simple conclusion. I'm going to sum up the whole sermon in two phrases of two words apiece. Are you ready? This is the whole sermon. This is what God wants for you to do. Chill out. God's got it. Watch out. Because you're still in danger. Chill out. Watch out. Amen. Let's pray. <laughs> Lord, I pray right now your Holy Spirit will take these truths and put them in our hearts where we'll live them out. I know you're watching over us. 
I know we can trust in you, but Lord, you also told us to keep our eyes open, so let us do both. In Jesus' name, amen.